Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a recovered life discussion all about setting healthy boundaries and how codependency could be keeping you from living your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. Welcome everybody to Recovered Life Discussion and the title of this room is Setting Healthy Boundaries and I love it. Um, It's a, a passion of mine. My name is Christina Dennis and I am a person in recovery. Uh, as well as a recovery coach and interventionist and also um, a kind of, uh, uh, I have a a specific passion for recovering from codependency. So this room is specifically for me and my recovery and anybody who works through these kinds of things or just starting out, this is a wonderful place for you to be because um, recovery does not stop at just stopping the drinking. It It is, <clears throat> excuse me, something that we continue to search for, um, to be happy people, to feel. And in my particular story, I found codependency was one of the driving forces of my drinking. And I was able and blessed to get sober in 1997 And within, I believe, a year and a half to two years, I found myself on my knees, devastated about a relationship. Um, And I was in relationship with another addict who was acting out. Um, He had an addiction to porn and it was destroying my life. And I couldn't see beyond that relationship and I, in order to try to save that relationship, went into the codependent of sex addicts group. And that is where I discovered that I had a, a serious problem with codependency. Um, and it, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because, uh, as I said, I've discovered that my codependency is um, really the source, the root, um, since I have attended those specific meetings and helped with the, the uh, even the literature of that particular group. And if anybody in here would like to uh, DM me and ask questions about how you can get some help in that area, please, very, very open to just directing you to the right sources because it's an incredibly painful uh, addiction and the partners of sex addicts also struggle and it's not something that I mean we are getting better about talking about it but of course when I started looking at my codependency with this particular uh, man I realized that I had no other way of relating except in a codependent way and for those of you who um, are not exactly sure what that word means, I want you to know that you're in good company because even in the 20 plus years that I've worked on this, studied it, become certified, you know, uh, went to school for things, it is a very um, 
muggy kind of thing. You know, it's like not black and white with with drinking you or drugging, you put down the substance. But codependency, it means that we were taught to um, put somebody else's needs ahead of our own, even when it hurt us. Um, of course, there are times that we have to put somebody else's needs of our own. Of our own, I'm thinking about parents specifically, or sometimes within a relationship, it's important to be flexible and and think of others and but there is a point in which um, if we do it to our own demise and not having the self-love is where the pain begins because we end up being dependent on people to tell us if we have value and that puts a lot of pressure on the other person. It also puts us in a position to um, attract people that maybe don't have our best interests in, in mind. And it's uh, socialized as being a good thing, a selfless mother, a loving partner, uh, you know, sacrificing for other people can be really looked at as noble and valuable. Um, but I'm here to tell you that it is not when we're willing to sacrifice everything about ourselves for the love that we hope to have in return, we're generally not showing up honestly and manipulation comes into play, resentments come into play, and frankly, it's just not solid ground for any relationship. And all of us are born dependent on somebody. That is that is definitely, you know, the way it is. And we should be dependent on somebody. But there's this certain little kind of hidden messages that we start learning early, early, you know, maybe even before we can talk, we observe it in our parents <clears throat> and how they handle. We may observe it more in our mother or our, our father. We start to get ideas of how relationships are supposed to be. And some of us, and we've had this discussion in this room, some of us get made to feel responsible for our caregivers' feelings. And so we, we take on as a, as a response to a trauma situation that we must make sure that everybody in the room is okay before we feel like we're okay. And um, in recent years, that has come up to be a trauma response called fawning. And so uh, this is serious. It isn't a matter of I just am a pushover. It's very, very serious and it's also very hard to see. And I often read out of a book by Melody Beatty. It's a daily meditation called The Language of Letting Go. Um, and as people share, I'll put a link in the um, in the message board for people because this is a wonderful way for anybody to get started on trying to understand codependency. And so uh, I'm going to read something that I thought was very, very uh, apropos. It's actually for tomorrow. Um, it's like I said, this book is a daily reader. And, um, and I thought it was really, really good because it talks about boundaries specifically. And the name of the, the title of the entry is Feeling Good. Having boundaries doesn't complicate life. Boundaries simplify life beyond codependency. 
That's the name of the book that this is from. There is a positive aspect to boundary setting. We learn to listen to ourselves and identify what hurts us and what we don't like, but we also learn to identify what feels good. When we are willing to take some risk and begin actively doing so, we will enhance the quality of our life. What do we like? What feels good? What brings us pleasure? Whose company do we enjoy? What helps us to feel good in the morning? What's a real treat in our life? What are the small daily activities that make us feel nurtured and cared for? What appeals to our emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical self? What actually feels good to us? We have deprived ourselves too long. There is no need to do that anymore. No need. It feels good and the consequences are self-loving and not self-defeating. Do it. Today I will do for myself those little things that make life more pleasurable. Pleasurable. I will not deny myself healthy treats. And the reason why I wanted to read that is because it specifically talks about the need for boundaries, which is the name of this room. And boundaries get a bad rap. You know, a lot of people um, think that when you're setting a boundary, you're basically shutting somebody out of your life or you are telling them that they're unacceptable. And so the very first room of setting healthy boundaries, and I believe the first step to toward um, getting comfortable with setting healthy boundaries is to increase our self-love. And I wanted to have this room to talk about that because most of us are so outward focused. You know, we have this fawn, this trans, this uh, response to trauma where we're making sure my husband feels good and my son feels good and so-and-so feels good. And thinking that someone out there is going to be wondering if I feel good. And what I believe is the most important door to start with is on a daily basis, start treating yourself with care and respect. Boundaries start with self-love. Start figuring out what you like, what you want to be around. I'm in the process of finishing a workbook and it's taking me quite some time to boil down to questions so that anybody can go on my website and get a really good idea of what codependency looks like for them, where it came from, and how it's preventing them from having a relationship that's honest and open, and what they could possibly look forward to. So in this room, we share, and, uh, and we're here to support each other. This, um, this room is, or is recorded, so it, and it does get broadcasted on, um, on, what do you call those things, podcasts. And so please uh, use first names only and be respectful. But I wanted to open up the discussion with, with people's either history on how they've learned to treat themselves better or some ideas about how you can start treating yourself better. Um, I cannot say enough how important it is, self-care. And sometimes when I start working with somebody, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, I'm here because my partner won't do what I need them to do. You know, that was me when I showed up at my first meeting. I'm here because I need to figure out how to help so-and-so 
quit compulsively looking at pornography. It's hurting me. He's withdrawn, you know, as addiction does. Addiction gets in the way of our relationships. But what I learned was that I needed to be there to learn how to treat me. Like I needed to come to any relationship as whole as I can be. And that's the W-H-O-L-E whole um, versus having a hole inside of me that I expect somebody else to fill. And um, the opposite of codependency is not independent. I think sometimes, um, and I certainly swung this way where I, within a relationship where I needed someone desperately and then I ran away and I didn't need them at all and I'm completely independent. And I don't believe that that's true. The opposite of a codependent relationship is an interdependent relationship. And so interdependency means that there are two whole people that get together and they create this third entity that is good for both of them at the same time. And we do depend on our fellows. It's okay, but it's out in the open. It's, these are expressed expectations. These are negotiations. And um, it takes a lot of work, but we can start learning how to set healthy boundaries by figuring it out how we can feel good and take care of ourselves. And uh, I um, would love for uh, Kathy to respond and to open up the room for discussion because we learn from each other. And just to hear what everybody has to, to, to say today so that we can leave this hour with a little clearer idea about our own value. Kathy. Uh Quite an opening, Christina. Thank you. Um, self-love. I've put self-care in the um, share for the room. Um, I think that's a Freudian slip because uh, we do get them mixed up. I know I do. Um, for me, self-love, and it, it is about setting standards for myself. It is stopping that addict behavior where you can compare um, somebody who's worse off than you and think, well, I'm not that bad to um, looking at somebody and then being someone you can aspire to in terms of, uh, you know, professional stuff or, you know, they always look good. They always, they've always washed the hair. They've always got showered and dressed in the morning, whatever they're going through. Um, but it does boil down to yourself in the end. Uh, you can take inspiration from others, but it has to, for me, it has to come from myself. And I feel better. I feel better when I get up and shower. Um, I haven't for a couple of days because it's so freaking hot over here. <laughs> and my boiler puts the heating on at the same time. Um, but I have and I do and I feel better for it um, because it's not just sat there. I'm not sat there hoping nobody visits me. I'm ready for anything. If somebody wants to come along and visit, great. Um, if they don't, great. Um, if I want to do something, I'll do it. But it's that starting off with some self-love. And, and I do look in the mirror in the morning and I smile. And um, I don't have, I'm not very comfortable with my looks. So that's not an easy process for me. Um, but I do do it because I know mentally it prepares me and it makes me nicer to be around. If I can smile at myself and I don't see anybody all day, I can smile at myself when I go to bed because I respect myself. 
Um, and that's what I've been, that's what I had been missing through my addiction and through my dependency on alcohol was that self-respect um, because I didn't have to, I didn't want to, and I didn't have to. Um, and sobriety has given me that and it's given me an insight into this codependency monkey that I've got on my back. And um, I'm working to do that, though I failed spectacularly yesterday when the room didn't open and my first thought was to text Christina immediately. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, but it, but even that wasn't, that was, oh, I'm, you know, it, it that was about, I wanted that room today. It's not happening. I can live without it. Um, I enjoy that room and, um, but it's fine. It's fine. Christina is fine. Um, I'm going to, you know, get through it. Um, I'm rambling a bit now, but, um, yeah, the, the self-love thing is different for me than self-care though. They often, um, intertwine, but self-love is look, not just looking in the mirror, but looking yourself in the eye and, and saying, you know, I'm worth this. I'm worth whatever today brings. And whatever it brings, I can cope with it because I have got to. <laughs> and I'm not hiding. I am here and I'm present and I will take it on. Uh, whether that brings joy or sorrow, you don't often know. Um, but yeah, self-love to look yourself in the eye. Um, that's what I've been looking for, I think, all these years. And it's becoming easier and easier to do every day. And that's me out. Oh, thank you. I love I love that you brought up self-care and because this is, you know, this is, I think, the foundation of any time I start working with somebody and it was taught to me by a woman with an immense amount of not only sobriety but recovery from codependency. It was starting off your recovery, your day, every day, checking in with yourself and having a plan on what you're going to do and I, I actually call it a personal care contract and this is very uh, simple for anybody you know you don't need a coach to do this uh, it's great if you can do it with somebody else um, so that you keep each other accountable but I wake up every day and write you know what am I going to do for myself especially in the beginning physically spiritually and emotionally and just just taking action in those three areas, doing it on purpose, knowing that I have some autonomy and power um, helps me get in the right frame because I don't think many people show up in recovery with a lot of self-love. But that's also one of those things like, well, you just have to think positive. How? How do you start doing that? How do we turn away from, you know, decades? You know, at the time I was 28, and so 28 years of my life had been, uh, had been oriented toward taking care of everybody else and being everything to anybody else in order to remain, myself, to remain safe. I didn't have any self-love. And so she taught me that at least once a day, I was going to commit and think about, just even think about how my self-care was going to to be taken, you know, how I was going to do it and to be proactive in it. And having that, that um, just kind of like a barometer, like, or a setting on a radio, like, oh, okay, I'm gonna tune in to what do I feel like and what do I need today? And so, you know, a lot of times we can start setting up activities and 
you know, using our integrity, which increases self-esteem by fulfilling these things. And they are actionable. We can do it. And it does open up. And sometimes I know if you're in a lot of pain, you're in a really painful codependent relationship, especially if it's somebody who is um, struggling with sobriety, it can sound like, oh, I'm just going to let them you know, suffer. I'm just going to let them. That's not what I'm here for. I need to learn how to help them. And it sounds crazy that you have to help yourself first. You have to do that. You have to focus on you. And in turn, that kind of releases the other to uh, go ahead and maybe possibly get to a place of surrender or, you know, um, have at least a model of somebody who's starting to take care of themselves. And, and, and it's truly the first step in any recovery program, well, in this cover, uh, codependency recovery program. Kat, thanks for coming up. Hi, morning. Thanks for having me. And thank you for holding the space, Christina and Kathy. Um, man, I'm just like reflecting. So like the topic is kind of what the journey of self-love has kind of looked like for us or yeah something like that, right? that like the first step okay. you know that first was you know there's a positive aspect to boundary setting and how it opens us up to actually start thinking about what our needs are that that's actually the first step okay so <laughs> um yeah i mean when I first came into recovery, I remember like I made the home group my higher power. You know, some people would say to do that. And um, I literally did make the home group or, you know, my peers, my higher power. And that worked for a while. Like, I think that's great. But um, when I began suffering from my codependence in my second year of sobriety, it was very clear like I needed to reconstruct my understanding of a higher power and um because at the end of the day um you know you'll find yourself alone and like physically alone doesn't mean you don't have like you know i had to remind myself just because i'm physically alone or um you know, maybe I'm not in a relationship doesn't mean that I am alone. Um, and just having that concept of like a nurturing, loving, what does that look like? Like a parent-child relationship with my higher power. Um, and just like diving into that and becoming curious. I by no means um, do any of this perfectly. And sometimes um, when the boundary isn't set i really think that the universe has a way of showing you what that boundary needs to be like it could be way easier if i could just figure out what that healthy boundary is to begin with but um sometimes it takes a little bit of like discomfort and pain and um my partner like it's been over a month now since we split and um you know, separating was like the most loving, kind thing, you know, now that I'm reflecting that could have possibly been done, seizing all contact and communication, um, even though it's super, super uncomfortable and painful, like the enabling behaviors that were happening 
um, couldn't continue. It was um, detrimental to both of our health and happiness. So, um, yeah, healthy boundaries don't always (laughs) um, feel good, but um, I definitely have seen why, you know, the whys are showing up and it's very, like, it's pushed me into this growth that I, like, it's showing me I have the strength to move into this growth and I have this new opportunity how to carry myself as, like, a single woman in recovery and apply these boundaries and everything I've learned over the years. And um, a lot of that has to do with saying no. You know, there was a huge... um, convention in Palm Desert last weekend called the Desert Pow Wow and like it's so incredible how many people from all over the place come out to this event and um I have I've gone every year of my sobriety but this year I said like no I just can't it's it's very like um a lot of energy it's a pool party everyone's in their bikinis and having a good time it's like spring break um but um yeah, I had a little bit of FOMO, but that was the best thing for me. And just like n- gauging that intuition as it grows is really, really a beautiful thing to watch happen in myself. So, um, yeah, that's all I have. Thanks. I love that you set that boundary and took care of yourself. Um, I love that so much. And I remember, you know, that was, you know, that check in. Uh, that I do with myself is, is when I started realizing and started recognizing my nervous system. And so uh, because fawning is a trauma response, a lot of times we have to do the work that's underneath, you know, why we either set boundaries or think, you know, or why we don't set them. And we have to kind of untangle from this. And it's not necessarily oh, I have willpower and I know exactly what I have to do because it also can change. That's the thing about boundaries um, is that they can change and we can make new decisions. And what I used to be able to tolerate once I started kind of getting back into my body and I quit disassociating and just not being there, once I started to get back in, I didn't have the tolerance level sometimes to be around large groups of people. And it was me taking care of myself. And I I didn't need to make them wrong. You know, like it's not wrong that they want to do that. It's just not the best for me. And and I love that you did that for yourself. And being a single person in recovery brings a lot of new, new, you know, freedom in many, many ways. But uh, it is hard. It is hard when we set a boundary or try within a relationship to to make that, you know, for me it was boy meets girl on AA campus. And I am married to somebody in recovery, um, but it's hard when two people are in recovery and you have to address your codependency. So I so appreciate you coming up and being really transparent with this cat. Thank you. Um, Erwin, so happy to see you this morning. Real quick before you start, I want to invite anybody who wants to come up to share. If you've come in the room a little bit later, uh, we are talking about self-love as a beginning. Oh, good, Brondon. I'm glad we got you up. (laughs) It was really tricky there for a while. 
the glitch was happening or the app was glitching. But anybody who wants to come up and share a little bit about uh, their own journey or what they do to take care of themselves, to work on uh, loving yourself uh, in the scope of it being one of the first steps that we really have to, that we could take daily action on right now. So uh, you're welcome to come up and share. Thank you. Hi, Erwin. Hi, Christina and Kathy, everybody else in the room. I'm glad to be here this morning amongst friends. And um, Kat, I just related to you a lot of what you shared um, and it really resonated with me. And so I felt inspired to get up and share. Um, I definitely was feeling a little burned out at the end of the last week. Um, with last week being my birthday, it was very nice. I had a lot of people reach out to me and want to make plans and spend time and all that was lovely. But I realized, you know, I have to schedule in quite a bit of downtime um, right now with the ACA work I'm doing and other priorities in my life. Like I just need a lot of downtime. It's just where I am. And um, one person that I've had a challenging relationship with on and off for a very long time um who is an active addiction had reached out and she really wanted to get together and um i said okay we could get dinner not last week but this week and then at the end of last week she contacted me um she first like she called me to tell me about something about somebody else that i don't want to hear and through the gist of that conversation um part of my story I, i've been a victim of abuse in the past and she brought up the name of one of my abusers and said that he's been asking about me and i, I was already not feeling good about the conversation but like and like kind of getting short of breath but as that happened, I even said to her, I said, oh, just hearing that name makes me want to throw up. And um, the conversation didn't stop there. And there was no, no, like, oh, tell me more about that. Or, oh, what's going on? Or, oh, like, let's change the subject. She proceeded to say this name multiple more times throughout the conversation. And so then I just got off the phone and it took me a while to like really put my finger on it. I mean, I knew right in that instance that was very uncomfortable and like didn't want to hear that, but it took me a while to kind of get to the bottom of it and like breathe deeply and realize, okay, I was bothered by the first thing she called me about that. That didn't please me. But then when she kept going on about this, that was really not okay. And I recognized like, I cannot go to dinner with this woman. Like, when she says something and I tell her I'm having a physical reaction to that, that there's no comprehension of that. And unfortunately, I think that's just where she is in her life. I don't think it was mean spirited. I don't think she was trying to harm me, but I just don't think she has any awareness. And I don't think she's in a place where she has the ability to have awareness. But, um, you know, so I just sent a text earlier this week because I did want to give her the grace of like giving her some notice that I was canceling this and not just cancel day of, which I felt like that was some progress for me. Cause like I've been better about listening to myself, but I've also been like still kind of pushing myself like, well, maybe the day of you'll feel differently. And and on Monday I realized like, no, I'm, I'm not going to feel differently. And I just let her know like, Hey, I've got a lot going on this week. I'm, I'm not going to be able to go to dinner on Wednesday. Um, 
So I feel like that's a lot of progress that I'm like noticing those physical reactions um, and, and getting to the bottom of them, even if it takes me a few days. So I just wanted to share that and I appreciate y'all listening. Yes, you brought up so many good things, Erwin. And Kathy, please feel free to respond anytime you'd like to. I'm kind of hogging it. Okay, when we start to notice how we truly feel around, which is why these questions in this reading and why recovery from codependency starts with learning about ourselves is what do we like? What feels good? What brings us pleasure? Whose company do we enjoy? What helps us to feel good in the morning? What's a real treat in our life? So when we take the focus off of others and we start recognizing who we are, it's amazing how boundaries kind of become uh, innate and we, we can't turn away once we stop abandoning ourselves and saying that doesn't really matter or, you know, um, she's, she's always like that. I'm still going to do this. It, um, it, it gives us this option to all of a sudden start realizing and playing life by a different set of rules. If we're not responsible to make sure everybody is happy so that we feel safe, we can put all of that energy toward our recovery and toward showing up in certain relationships that the person is capable. It's like being able to put on a new set of glasses and go, oh my gosh, this isn't personal. You're not trying to hurt me. This is where you're at. And I can still say no thank you and take care of myself. And I love that you are paying extra attention to yourself as you're going through this spiritual work because that is also part of learning how to love ourselves, learning to actually know ourselves. And when any of us, for anybody who is in the recovery world, there are, you know, we may feel like I've got to make it up. You know, I did all these things when I was out there drinking. I've got to go and say yes to everyone and, um, you know, make it whole. And, 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 you know, now I have options. But it isn't the greatest thing for us. Like we all have to treat ourselves with, with some care recognizing that we have limits. There was a reason why I drank. My nervous system, I needed to check out. And so those problems didn't go away when I stopped drinking. A lot of the problems that I had added um, to my life by drinking alcoholically did, and that was great. But that underlying stuff was still there. And so I needed to go and do the work um, you know, I, 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 everybody knows I came through 12 steps, but there is a part of 12 steps, uh, in the big book where they say of this, we know very little, we are a spiritual kindergarten. And that means that, you know, we may address our drinking if you are a substance abuse abuser like me, but we still need more work on our living. And, uh, this just everything that you shared was, was beautiful. Thank you, Erwin. And happy birthday again. You, you can just celebrate the whole month, according to me. Yeah, I agree with that, Christina, uh, about the birthday, definitely, and about the other stuff. That sounds like an amazing journey in a very condensed space, Erwin, and I love it. It's the definition of of self-love and setting the healthy boundaries. You, 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 you thought on it, you know, you went with literally your gut, and you decided, nope, it's not for me, and that's fine. You said what you needed to say. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm so pleased for you. Um, 
that's a that's a great journey to keep in mind i think on on uh on this particular on this well just in life generally um you get you gave it a fair shot and uh nope uh, it it felt funky to you and you ducked out and not ducked out but you know what i mean you took responsibility for yourself first and that's the key to it so thank you Owen. that was a terrific share uh brandon how are you i hope i've said that right yeah kathy thank you um i'm doing okay happy to see you up here it took us a while to get it working yeah no problem um so i'm i'm not too familiar with the space with the club but um from what i've gathered um many of the people here um have some experience with uh, addiction in the, and um and um this particular discussion is about um boundaries as a mechanism for uh, managing um the, the recovery process uh yes and in relationships and in relationships um okay well i um i i, I tend to um except that um, just because of conditioning and trauma, I very early in my life adopted relative, a relatively anti-addictive personality. Um, I failed chemistry uh, in part because I'm just not really good at it, but also I spent a lot of time, a lot of hours walking back and forth in, in, the, in the small house that I grew up in from the back door to the front door, the front window looking out waiting on my father, who was um, essentially a lifelong alcoholic. And um, my concern would be, you know, whether or not he would um, not come home and, I, and that a state trooper would come to our door to let us know that he'd been killed. Um, and that didn't ever happen, actually, at the end of his life where he, he, um, he, he had a really essentially abandoned drinking. And um, unfortunately, the, the as a result of his drinking, developed um, pancreatitis, which was very painful and difficult. And then he got cancer, and then that, that was just sort of his demise. But I think he spent maybe the last five or six years of his life um, sober. But the result of that for me has also been um, really existing in the space of survivor's guilt around any addiction that I have proximity to, which is why during the pandemic, um, I decided after just being, after, see, after seeing sort of an epidemic within my peer group of meth addiction, of uh, nicotine addiction, and of hoarding addiction, that I had to do something. And not thinking really that I was prepared myself emotionally to take that on, but the question really was, if not me, who? Because who? so many people don't recognize these behaviors as a problem especially, you know, if the person has money, if the person has social capital, if the person um, is attractive. Um, and so for me, I had a point of view that most people who were not experiencing addiction, or at least not experiencing it openly, would not have. And um, I thought I could be of help. But lately I've been struggling with a lot of my clients, um, particularly in the hoarding space less more less less so than those uh, struggling with um with meth which is interesting um the the communication and the language is much easier with the clients who are experiencing a narcotic addiction versus those that are that are experiencing the type of addiction that um 
requires them to have to acquire material goods um, in order to feel some level of safety or stability. And the unfortunate part is that the first few people that I work with have been close friends and relatives. And so they're very comfortable um, isolating me or um, isolating my suggestions and recommendations. Um, they're very comfortable throwing um, things like doctor's appointments or travel obligations up in avoidance of the work that we have to, to do on a continual basis. And um, even to the extent that I've experienced violence at the hand of some of those clients. And, you know, now I wonder, um, now I'm struggling with exactly how to proceed with, um, with those engagements. Um, I have right now, I am cut off from two people. Um, the last conversations I had were a list of reasons why they couldn't do what we had agreed we would do. And, um, you know, now it's just, it's, it's, I can't say I'm detached. I'm less emotional about it than I thought I would be, but I'm still, I'm still very bothered. Um, I just, I just see so much time and so much potential being wasted in people that I care about. And I also see, for example, I have a close friend who's a peer who's frankly, his sex life has been impacted by his hoarding addiction by his association of professional prestige with his value and worth as a, as a person to the point that I even look at that as some form of, of addictive behavior, pathological behavior. And, um, but it has just gotten to the point that even opening those conversations up could result in a candle holder being thrown at the wall, window being broken, um, a series of expletives coming out directed at me. And um, as in, as of the last week or two, I've, I've just disengaged. Um, I have my own challenges. Um, I'm, I don't have a recovery or addiction story, but well, with the exception of, of being involved in the electoral politics, which is a narcotic in and of itself. Um, but I've, I'm, I'm experiencing displacement. Um, I recently got a service a service dog who I think is eating something in my house that she shouldn't be eating, but which was, which was important um, for me to do because really I think what the fragmentation that I was, that I experienced as a result of this, this latest uh, work that I've been doing with addiction um, uh, organizational therapy for addiction um, has been a catalyst for me needing to bring into my own life a therapy mechanism. And so I selfishly decided that I would take what money was left in my account um, to, to make that happen, to get a service, a therapy um, and service animal. Yes. Um, but, but nevertheless, I'm, as it relates to at least two relationships right now, um, I, I just don't know how to, how, how to move forward. I've right. written out what I feel like they need to hear um, because verbal communication is just hardly ever effective it becomes a thing where they forget that I'm the person providing the service as opposed to communicating with me like someone who is an inferior or someone who is a burden. And um, I just don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move forward. It sounds, uh, it sounds abusive. 
Um, and I, I would say, so addiction is a disease in my mind. And many people, I think, hold that belief. And although you don't are, practice a, an addiction, uh, I, would, I would say that it has affected you quite a bit. Um, when we are raised in alcoholic homes, we are knit differently. Um, and there is a wonderful program uh, called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunction. And it is so loving and healing. And I would urge you um, to look into it. There's a yellow workbook that it is phenomenal what they teach you in that workbook. And, you know, from what I understand, I have some, first, I want to applaud you for being completely transparent in sharing because this stuff is really hard. And for those of us who are in the healing services, it can be incredibly tricky to have boundaries with these people that we love. Now add that you're related to them and it is the Olympics of codependency and it is impossible to do it alone. And so for those of us who are caregivers or coaches or you know, uh, people who kind of bring major changes or transformation to others, we must start with our own self-care. And you, I don't believe that it was selfish for you to take care of yourself and move toward something that's going to support your nervous system like a dog, um, a service dog. They're amazing. And, um, you know, I, I would never pretend to know anything about hoarding except that I've shared space in the rooms of recovery with people who have included that in their abstinence um, statement, you know, and it is a very tricky mental disorder and it is dangerous and um, I'm not qualified to speak to that um, except to know that it is really serious. And if you don't take care of yourself first, um, you know, one of my boundaries is, you know, absolutely no one is allowed to physically hurt me. I will remove myself, even if it's a poor attempt on their part, you know, like I know that they can't hit me because they're so drunk. I will always remove myself from that situation. And it's going to take that person looking at themselves and coming up with, um, a lot more of a support plan so that they don't get to that place where they're throwing things before I re-enter into their life. And it, you know, that is one of the reasons why doing the work like the ACOA workbook is so significant because it helps us understand why we have belief systems that say, it's okay, it's my job to kind of come and help this person. I'm responsible for the intervention. Uh, you know, it's up to me. We cannot recover for other people. You may be able to help this person with, you know, physical, um, physical removing of stuff and show, having them show up, but you can't go into their brain and help them heal what is broken. And uh, it's a really frustrating part of codependency recovery and caring. Um, it just... I've learned over the years, I cannot get somebody else sober, period. I can be a testament to the recovery. I can tell them how great 
it is to be a sober person. I can show them what I've done, but eventually they have to have that surrendering point. And I am not able to give that to them. I have serious limits and just understanding that, um, that, that this is their path, whatever it is. But I would urge you to kind of consider becoming part of the recovery community and talking to fellow travelers, that's what we call ourselves in the ACOA program, and getting some, some help and also realizing that you're, you're not alone at all. Um, you've chosen, it seems like a pretty difficult profession, but um, it's important for you to really, really double down on your self-compassion and take care of yourself first. And then that gives room for higher power, higher source, people's journey, destiny, whatever you want to call it, to step in and do the rest of it. And so I really appreciate you coming up and sharing. Yeah, Brenda, that was, uh, I, I applaud your vulnerability there. Sorry, uh, you're going to respond to Christina. I do apologize. No, Kathy, I would love to hear from you. I just wanted to, um, I asked that, you know, it, there's, there's so much dimension um, to, um, I don't even know how to describe it, Christina. It's like, you are not, I am not experiencing addiction. And I, and I almost, I almost can just, in a moment, I can say, okay, I've had four Cokes today. So, you know, I'm tripping, you know, I mean, anything, it's always like, is that in excess? Is that in excess? And, and I mean, I'm, I'm just a minimalist is, is, is the best way to describe it. But I feel that my, my nervous system reflects that of a person who has lived with addiction, who, 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 it, and it, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. And it, and, mm -hmm. and what it does to me, it says, you know, you just have to be, you know, to, I took it as a sign that I just have to express the greatest deal of empathy and concern for people who are really living with those things. But then I think that may be a very problematic and unethical way of looking at, looking at that reality. Yeah, but it slips into enabling pretty easily. And uh, make no mistake, even though you are not an active addict, addiction has affected your childhood and your life. It, addiction is a family disorder. It affects everybody and it's very, very deep. And even though you have are successful and are able to do what you're doing, there are things that need to be addressed and healed. And so when I say become part of the recovery community, you do not have to be an addict to substance to belong. It's a really great place for you to share openly, be supported, and, and kind of start figuring out what's gonna work for you, what's not gonna work. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we meet every Wednesday. Um, and talk about setting these healthy boundaries because they are very complicated. It is not as easy for a codependent, you know, somebody may show up and go, well, just stop, just stop going there. And they look at you like, what, why are you doing that? And, um, you know, that's why we kind of pull apart the situations. But thank you again. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in the room again. Yeah, I, I hope to hear, I hope if Kathy has something to share, but really and truly, because some of this is so fresh, Christina, I hope that before the evening, maybe you and I can jump into a space together because there, there's a lot more that I'd like to be able to share with you because, I mean, sure, I just, I, me. okay. Absolutely. Yeah.
yeah, you you've got the you've got the best in the business there, Brandon. And and I wanted to say I really applaud your empathy and your 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 wanting to get involved and you've intellectualized this and you've thought it through and you've 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 done your side of the work and um but I if I may say I, I think I hear a bit of frustration in your voice. Um and I, I understand that. If I'm stepping over the mark, I apologize, but um I understand that. But yeah, there are some great great resources in clubhouse for um acoa um but yeah definitely chat with christina uh but great share thank you so much thank you loki is that how you say your name what would you like to share hi um yeah i was listening to all the discussion about uh the effects of the brain um and i've been recently coming into you know figuring out what my whole life was about for the past 43 years like what was that all about um and i know that i've had problems before with you know, various things like alcohol marijuana uh sex even and just recently i've just discovered about that sex is an addiction and i joined a, a group on facebook and i also been really uh, looking into various researching like various uh, sources on the topic and getting a better understanding and so i think that for um with my my plan of self-love it's having compassion and knowing the background of these kinds of behaviors and i wanted to share um something that i learned recently um reading over Gabor Mate's In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Um, and he's a, a, for those that, people probably know about him, but for those that don't, he's a, um, he's a psychologist in the Pacific Northwest area in Canada. And he cites, um, he cites a Daniel Siegel. And in the book, he, uh, he says that, um, he cites Daniel Siegel that he suggests that poor attunement can interfere with the development of brain circuitry. This can lead to distorted levels of brains endorphins, which soothes physical and emotional pain. Poor attunement can also result in fewer brain receptors of dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter that sends messages of incentives and rewards. And considering my past, um, See, I, I had some childhood trauma and also isolation because I didn't tell anybody about it for years. And it developed, uh, I developed self-soothing behaviors. And like, I thought masturbation was <laughs> like what kids did. But no, I learned that no, people don't do that. So I stopped that. And then I was just like anti-anything, sex, boys, everything for like years. And then when I hit my 20s, I would became curious again. And and from then, it's just like, I I just, uh, that was an easy one to get back into because it was how I had conditioned myself when I was a kid uh, to escape, you know, what had happened to me and to kind of um, exert some kind of con my control over that element. And... I, I used to view myself as like being very sick, but then now it's like, I see it as like, you know, with anybody that can't remove themselves from a situation, 
you your your other option is disassociation and just removing yourself from that by creating fantasies and um and so i i've learned to be more compassionate for myself and and i know that people's perceptions about people who are hypersexual are that are that of judgment but i i look now it's like you know we don't know what's going on with people who are um going through that in their period of life where where they're just um taking on these behaviors to try and soothe themselves and um knowing that i have less receptors also helps me understand that you know with anything i'm going to have to just tread lightly because it might take a normal person you know just a little bit just to get that dopamine effect and like just with anything you know like having family contact or being outside and and i look at like other people and myself who have to go to extremes to get that same amount of happiness from these activities and i see that yeah i i can see why and and i think that that's really helped me so nowadays um I look at uh what I can do that's healthy for me that's positive and I also um know this the times of the day that I I would normally feel lonely like at nighttime and so that's now I've started exercising morning and night just light not going crazy because people can get addicted to that and just enough to get me tired so i'm not you know overthinking i'm not obsessing about you know why why am i lonely or that kind of thing and reaching out to other people um that has helped me as well and 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 finding other groups like this where i get to talk to others so thanks Thank for you. creating this thank you loki i so appreciate your willingness to be transparent and you know uh you are 100% correct uh, self soothing is is what happens and and sex addiction is uh very difficult the fantasy part everything that you shared and so i applaud you for going down this um you know some very interesting things because uh sexual anorexia is the flip side of compulsive sexual um uh sex addiction and it's a very tender subject and it, it need not be like we need to have really good open spaces that talk about uh sexual addiction and the need for it i um don't know if you have ever read a book called the molecule of more um it is amazing it's one of the latest books um uh, on the molecule dopamine and what ha- ends up happening and uh i think that you would really benefit from reading it because it really kind of explains um about how dopamine is in our system and what happens after and that's that cycle of addiction so uh, unfortunately we are out of time um i hope that you uh loki will join our community the recovered life community um we are set out to uh invite and and be a community of all kinds of you know people who just want to have a life free of addiction and want to know how to live their best recovered life and uh the tomorrow uh my uh co-mod damon frank will be back at the same time 9am pacific to talk about getting unstuck 
um, in your recovery. And then we will return on Monday uh, with Recovered This Week. I will be on Tuesday. Um, I made a mishap with scheduling for my son's school appointment and <laughs> was not able to have the room yesterday, but I missed you all. And we'll continue doing that work, um, rewiring our brain. So with that, thank you, Kathy, so much for modding with me. I really appreciate it. It's been a great room. And apologies, Rax, we we, uh, we got very short a time today uh, from some great shares that we've had, um, but do come into the room again. And for those that are interested, Christina has a website and there is a great email that goes out. It's only once a week and it's a great read. Uh, so sign up for that as well. Oh, thank you. And soon I'll have this fantastic workbook. I'm so excited about it because it doesn't matter where you are in your recovering from codependency or just trying to figure out if this is something, it's going to have a lot of really, really good information and questions we can ask ourselves. Plus, uh, right now I'm working on the future questions for those of us that are entering into new relationships and how we can avoid some of the pitfalls. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.